So we're in the last week of our series of Framework for Freedoms and we're looking at the final, this almost like top tier of the trellis on this topic of reaching out, which just includes the four things, uh, money, work, service and witness. Um, I've done, I think, in my uh, years in ministry, whole sermon series on each one of these individual topics. So right at the start, I need to say there's a lot to pack in tonight. But as we've done this uh, uh, trellis and talked about this, what we're hoping as we go through these topics is for you to think about uh, ways in which you can take a step forward that can be helpful to you. So although there's a lot to go through in this talk, please don't feel overwhelmed by it all. With these four things on the top of this trellis as well, I think one thing we need to be conscious of is that these are perhaps the four areas that are the most visible or have the most impact for others. You know, the top of the plant is often where the flowers or the fruit hang from. This is the most noticeable part of the plant. So these things are things that will have an impact on others and the world around you. Before we uh, delve into uh, those areas, though, in more topic, I just want to read out uh, the verse from Colossians that our Sunday talk is going to be based on and that Catherine's already shared with us in this session. But let me read it out again, just because it forms a, a basis of what we're doing. It says this, it's Colossians 3, verse 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And just so we're really clear, that phrase, whatever you do, literally does mean whatever you do. Any activity that requires effort, we are to do it with consideration towards God. It doesn't necessarily mean having to consciously think about God all the time, but rather um, that we should get into good habits, doing things in a way that honours God and certainly think about consciously about God at, at times throughout the day. I was trying to think of a good analogy for this and I thought uh, perhaps it might be a bit like driving a car as we're creating this framework for freedom. It's almost like learning to drive a car. When you first start, la- first start learning, you have to um, think consciously, don't you, about everything that you have to do where you brake, accelerate, change gear, signal turn and, and manoeuvre. But as you get used to driving and you uh, get into the good habits, uh, you can drive almost automatically uh, along roads, hopefully safely and well. There's still times when we have to consciously think about what we're doing, like when you get to a junction, you have to look and see and know if it's safe to pull out and, and things like that. But you spend a lot of time driving unconsciously without thinking about it automatically and what this series is about is about us putting in uh, beginning to practice uh, principles in the whole of our life that will hopefully be good habits for us to uh, bring God and go along with God 
well, both consciously and also subconsciously in our lives. So let's look at the first of the four things that we're looking at tonight. And the first one is this, money. Lots of questions I could ask, you know, are you comfortable with how you use your money? Is your attitude towards money how God would want it to be? What would be your quick gut answers to those questions? How often have you thought about personal guidelines about how you use money? What do you prioritise your spending on? Really big questions to think and you could spend a long time mulling over them. But at the heart of the issue, I think, is this real underlying question. What do you think money does for you? If I wonder if many of you have heard of a guy called John Rockefeller. If you don't know who he was, he's probably the uh, comparatively the richest person that has ever lived in history. At one point, his company that he owned was so big, he was said to have 3% of all the wealth in America. Really um, fascinating um, person. Uh, do look him up if you're interested. He was once famously asked this question, how much money does it take to make a person happy? And with all his wealth, he gave this famous answer, just a little bit more. If somebody with that much money gave that answer, surely it's right to conclude that wealth is not the answer to life's problems. Money is not the thing that's going to solve everything and make us happy. If you're thinking that money is what's going to make you happy and content, I would like to suggest money will end up being your master. You'll be after more and more because it won't ever fully satisfy and make you happy. This is also backed up by other research, not just that um, example of the richest person that ever lived. There was an in-depth uh, study done into wealth and happiness uh, done across the world in different um, uh, nations and in different uh, economic situations to see if money was linked at all with happiness. And this study did find that at a very base level, there was good correlation between money and happiness. It found that if people, uh, once people have a, a place to live and the ability to source food and water and clothing, they will be happier than if they don't have enough resources with those things. But once those very base needs are met, this study could find no correlation between happiness and wealth. Once you reach that point, I say that again, there was no correlation between the amount of money people had and their happiness. And in fact, they often found nations with the most disposable income were far more unhappy than those that had much simpler, poorer, from a worldly eyes, lives. Money is not the answer to happiness. And this is what Jesus taught as well. Jesus taught about money more than any other topic. And we're making a conscious effort as a church as well to talk more about money because Jesus thought it was important to talk regularly about it. Jesus 
said these words, didn't he? You cannot serve both God and money. When Jesus was saying that, he wasn't saying that money was insignificant or not needed. But with this teaching and with others, Jesus was challenging people to put and keep money in the right place. Money comes after God and we need to have the correct attitude to it. We need to use money in a way that honours God and puts him first. Use money in a way that serves his purpose and not use money to try and fulfil things that we should find in God and elsewhere. Jesus was really clear that we were to be generous with our money and that we should think about 10% as a baseline for us all to aim for, to give away as a priority. It should be in the forefront of our thinking. I was really challenged a number of years ago when I read a book called The Hole in the Gospel by a guy called Richard Stearns, who was then the head of the charity World Vision. There are a couple of chapters on it, but uh, basically uh, his team calculated that if every uh, church-going uh, Christian in the West, so that's America and Western Europe and places like, like Australia, gave 10% of their income to their local church, and then the local church kept 90% to themselves, but then gave 10% to World Vision, what would they be able to do? He said if that was the case, within three years they'd be able to make sure every single person in the world had access to drinking water, and within five years be able to eliminate what they called all extreme poverty in the world. And also, beyond that, within 10 years, be able to, provi to provide free education for all children up to the age of 11 in nations that didn't currently, weren't currently able to offer that. I found that absolutely incredible and mind-blowing. Yet churches and individuals are so far away from that being a reality. So as we think about the frameworks for our lives, it would be really good for you to think about how you use your money as a priority, to be generous to others. What do you give to? And how do you invest in God's kingdom with your money? Let me read verse 24 of Colossians 3 again. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. We might get interest if we put money in bank accounts and save it but we also get a reward when we invest in God's heavenly kingdom. And that inheritance lasts a lot longer and will be much greater than anything a bank will give us. Okay, <clears throat> let's move on to the second area, to work. And by work, I literally mean how do you see God with you in your Monday to Saturday? whether it is a workplace, whether it's at home, or whatever it might be. Again, this is something we've spoken about a reasonable amount in church. But I want you to think about, as you create frameworks, is there something you can put down to help you bring God more into your life in those places? I want to tell you a, a brief story. There was a gardener once who, who showed his minister uh, 
uh, garden that he had tended as part of his business. The flowers were in full bloom, you know, lawn beautifully mown, but borders absolutely perfect. And the minister was really impressed as he looked around and he just cried out, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But the gardener was a little bit unhappy with the pastor and that he'd given God all the credit. So he retorted, you should have seen the garden when God had it all to himself. <laughs> a bit of a tongue-in-cheek reply. But the gardener was making an important and, I think, biblical point. God has obviously provided and made this beautiful world for us with all the, the plants and the beauty. But he made us, humankind, to be creative and to work with him in creating and using this creation for good. Even in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, humankind was expected to work the land to help the plants grow and produce fruit. God wants us to be co-creators with him in his world, to create beauty out of what he has provided for us. And that's the same not just with gardening, but I believe with other types of work too. Sometimes it might be harder to see than in other areas, but in making or managing money, creating or distributing products, investing in others, can you see how you are co-creating with God or sharing the beauty of his creation with others? God wants to be involved in that and wants it to happen well. A famous uh, Christian author, Dallas Willard, says, to not find your job to be a primary place of discipleship is to automatically exclude a major part, if not the most, of your waking hours from life with him. The gospel turns your work into a spiritual formation training centre. So how can you bring God into your work and in your creation? Well, can you have set times where you, or, uh, during the day or before you go where you pray for your projects, for your meetings, for the people that you're going to see, for the places you are going to go, for your workplace or home atmosphere? How can you help shape and create things in a godly way? Can you get your company or your family to invest in something that is going to be a real blessing and make a positive impact for many people. God would love to see that. Okay, so we've looked at, at money and at work. Let's look at the third area, service. This is about having an attitude of serving people other than yourselves, of doing something for others. Jesus, this is another area that Jesus spent a significant time amount of time speaking about. Think the parable of the Good Samaritan as a great example. Think the whole life of Jesus as a great example. Coming to serve the needs of others at the expense of himself. I always remember the story that's told on Alpha of a soldier that was dying during World War II and uh, he wasn't dying alone. There was a friend uh, next to him. Uh, the soldier knew that he was dying, and his friend knew that he was dying. And he told his friends, you know, if you make it back, I want you to go to this man in this street and tell him that what he taught me when I was young is helping me to die well. 
So the friend did survive and when he got back to England he went to this street and found this man and he told him the message from this person. And as he said this message, the man started crying and said, Oh God, forgive me. I gave up teaching at Sunday school because I thought I wasn't making any difference. I think it's a really uh, heartwarming story that shows we might not always see or know the difference we make in others' lives when we go in with an attitude of service. But we don't do it for that. But when we, we serve, we do it because we know we can make a big difference in the lives of others because we love them even though we might not see it. We can do that through the way we welcome people in church, through sound and doing sound and visuals well in a church I know has transformed somebody's life that I know. God invites us to be people that actively love and serve him. And I know many of you here are actively doing that in church, but there are quite a number who aren't. You don't have to serve in church, you can serve in other places as well. But if you're not giving time in acts of service to others, you are missing out on a real blessing and an attitude that God wants us to grow in our lives. Okay, last thing, witness. Really simply, this is about being ready to give an account for the hope you have in Christ with your words. As 1 Peter 3 says, always be ready to give an account for the hope you have in Christ, but do it with gentleness and respect. Are you ready and able to share your story if people ask you what difference your faith has made in you? One of the great ways to be ready is if you have never done this, I would just encourage you to write down a really short testimony about what happened when you came to Christ or what and or what difference knowing Jesus makes in your life. Write it out, have a clear idea in your mind so that you can be ready when somebody asks you. You have something to say. You don't have to um and ah about it. It can be really freeing. Another little framework you can put in place is to be somebody that includes what you do at church when people ask you what you've been up to or what you've been doing. So not just say, oh, I've been at home watching telly, but also say perhaps I went to church on Sunday or I went to my small group last night or my prayer group or whatever it is. Share these things naturally. And if people are curious, invite them more to come and find out and come along with you perhaps to church or Alpha when it's happening. We must always do it with love and respect as we're encouraged to do in scripture, but we must also, as encouraged by scripture, commanded by scripture, I should say, to always be ready as well. As I finish, I just wanna draw out a couple more uh, verses of scripture as well. In Corinthians, we're told that not, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says this, nothing done in Christ is in vain linking back to that eternal reward that we get when we serve Christ well in our lives. It's not done in vain. Sometimes I think we can fall into the mindset of thinking that everything in this world is going to be destroyed when God comes again. That's not actually 
what scripture tells us. Revelation is not, I will make all things new, but rather, I am making all things new, God says. When we are in line with his purpose, when we are living it out and pouring out his goodness in others, we are doing things that will last an eternity. We will have an eternal impact in the way we live our lives today. So let's shape our lives as we finish this course in a way that will help us to do that. Amen.